Jewish Money Matters, episode 230, Karen McCall, founder of Money Grit and the Financial Recovery Institute and author of Financial Recovery. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Back in the regular schedule around here, well, adjusting for the fact that I kicked off this week with my 10-week coaching program, God Wants You to Be Rich, and my wonderful students, and I loved every minute of it. If you missed it this year and you want to sign up for the wait list for next time the program opens its doors, of course, you can do that at yaeltrush.com forward slash rich. All right, let's talk about today's episode. I love today's episode. And I think you will too. I have Karen McCall, one of my favorite ladies in the personal finance space. Um, She's here with us today. Um, This is a recording of a special bonus session that she did last year for a group of my students. And it was just such a wonderful session. She is such a special woman. It's an honor for me to share our conversation with all of you today, because Karen is the author of Financial Recovery, Developing a Healthy Relationship with Money, a book that I I highly recommend. I think maybe I've even mentioned it before on the show. She's also the founder of the Financial Recovery Institute and her career in personal finance started in 1988 when she herself desperately needed a money coach and she knew it and she couldn't find one. She is definitely one of the pioneers in America in the work of personal finance and women and personal finance from a more holistic perspective, definitely a pioneer. And based on her decades of experience with women and couples, Karen has developed her own money management software, Money Grit, so that we can be grounded in the numbers at the same time as we explore the emotional side of money. I have yet to see another software like this in the market. Karen and I talk about the financial struggles that led her to build a career in personal finance, the emotional side of money, Money Grit, her software, and much more. And you will want to listen carefully, especially at Karen's examples, as you might find that you can identify with some of what she's sharing. Here's the lovely Karen McCall. And it's such a pleasure to have you here. We planned this, I think, the end of summer. We said we got to do something. Yeah. And Karen, just so you know, guys, Karen is, I already bragged about you before, but Karen is really one of the pioneers in the field of women and money. She is somebody who really has coached thousands of women, not just women, individuals and on their path to financial recovery. She's the founder of the Financial Recovery Institute. She's the author of this fabulous book. I'm going to brag about your book, Financial Recovery. Great, great book. And she's a creator of Money Minder, which is a, a tracking and planning technology that today is now become an app, Money Grid, which she'll tell us about today. And all that to say, for those of you who've been on sessions with me with Barbara Stani, you should also know that Karen is one of the women that Barbara credits to a lot of her financial transformation. So we are very, very privileged to be able to have Karen McCall with us today, sharing with us her wisdom, her experience, her know-how. This is going to be unbelievable. So thank Thank you, Karen, for doing this. Thank you, Yael. It's lovely to be here. Happy New Year. Yes, yes, yes. Should be a real a great year full of blessings with for all of us. So why don't we get started, Karen, with I would love for you to set the stage for the ladies here today with your own personal journey, because I know that you this you being such becoming an expert in this didn't just happen. It's something that came with a lot of struggle and came from your own personal history with money. And the reason I would like you to set up the stage with your journey is because I want to normalize the money conversation. And I know that you are a fan of that too. And I want us all here to feel like whatever it is we're dealing with, you're not unique. We all have something that we've been struggling with in our relationship with money and it can be healed and it can be fixed and it can be improved greatly. And Karen, you 
you can tell us all about that. So what what is the backstory that led you in this path of financial recovery, which then, you know, you've led others in that path? Great. Well, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And it has been quite a journey. I don't usually start out by telling my age, but I'm going to today for a specific reason. I'm going to be 78 in July of 2021. And I was in my 40s and I had never learned anything about money. I was married. My husband handled twice. My husband handled the money. And <clears throat> when I got divorced and got a divorce settlement at that time, now it doesn't seem like much money, but at that time it was a great deal of money to me. I just put it in the bank and went into a total money coma and woke up a couple of years later and all the money was gone and I had racked up credit card bills. And <clears throat> prior to that, I was working. I was working for the second largest computer company in the world in San Francisco and everything looked like I just had it all together. Together, right? Um, but my little secret, my dirty little secret at that time, which was about 35 years ago, was that I had this beautiful office in San Francisco overlooking the bridge, big glass round building, corner office, amazing view. I had fancy little sports car, my Italian suits and briefcase. And if you'd have seen me, you would have thought, wow, what a success. Mm. But you wouldn't have known that I was on the verge of being evicted from my apartment, that I had the IRS hounding me and creditors hounding me. And that was what I consider my bottom. It was pretty awful. I contemplated suicide. I couldn't imagine that there was a way out. But I remember the night that this all came to a head for me was the night that I came home and saw the eviction notice. And so I thought, okay, this big bowl on top of my refrigerator that was stuffed full of bills and all of these um, notices from the IRS, it was big, deep, dark bowl. I decided that I had to bring that bowl down and I really had to face what was going on. And at the time I was dating a guy who he was always baffled. I mean, I never told him my situation, but he was with me once when I was in my little sports car and I was stopped. My registration was expired and my um, driver's license was expired. And he went, you know, he knew me from this corporate life. He's like, what's going on? So, but it, we didn't communicate about it. He would just show up with piles of, um, I'm da- really dating myself, cassette mm-hmm. tape. Right. So on my floor, I had all this stack of these self-help um, tapes that he had brought me. And that night, I thought, I really need some encouragement. So I went through the stack and I pulled out the tapes by Dr. Robert Schuler on possibility thinking. And so I plugged in that cassette and started. And I just opened every single envelope, made a list, and that was the start. Then I thought, okay, I need help. I don't know what to do with all of this. So I started looking at that time in the yellow pages, telephone book, yellow pages. We didn't have Google. We didn't have computers. And um, well, we didn't have computers like this. I was selling computers, but it was different. they were very different types of computers. Um, and <clears throat> so what I found was there were financial people, you know, accountants and financial planners. Well, obviously they wouldn't want to talk to me. They didn't know how to help people with my problem. And then on the other end of the spectrum were budget counselors. And so I tried contacting a budget counselor and they said, give us your money and we will pay your bills and we'll give you a little bit of money to live on. And that did not work because this wasn't an issue of I needed somebody to handle my money. So that started the journey for me. And um, I'll tell you, it's been amazing. You know, I just, I actually don't even know how it all happened, except I just feel I just had some little guardian angel guiding me through the whole experience. Because as I started, I went to therapy, and that was helpful in terms of understanding some of the emotional components I was dealing with, but there was nothing about how to handle money. So I just made that my, that was my life purpose, is that I had to figure out this money thing. So I um, just started creating little budgets and little worksheets and started a journal. And fast forward just a few years, maybe within two or three years, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I knew that I did not like working in corporate America. And um, I actually disliked it intensely. I was having physical um, reaction to it. I was depressed. I couldn't face going to work. And so this led me in 1988 to open the doors to financial recovery because I thought, you know, I'm not the only person around probably who's caught in this gap between financial planners and budget counselors. And what I thought in the beginning was that my clients would be like me, just people who had a lot of debt and had never learned about money. And the beautiful thing is all of these people that I worked with over the years, like Barbara Stanley, um, who had money, um, I realized that this wasn't just about debt and not being able to handle money. This was a much broader and deeper issue that affected people if they had millions or people if they had none, you know, just add more zeros or less zeros that women particularly really suffered from not understanding money um, and having so much of it connected with um, self-esteem, low self-esteem. And um, so that's how I started the journey. February 2nd, 1989, I had my very first client. 
Um, you want me to keep going or do you want to ask me something more? <laughs> I love it. Keep going. Okay. So, um, and the interesting thing was I loved, loved, loved it. I knew that to get strong with money, that it required work on a spiritual level, an emotional level, and a practical level. And I'll say more about that later. And um, so I started and some of the first, and at that time to build my business, we didn't have social media marketing. My marketing to start my business was I would talk to anybody who was willing to listen to me. I would take any kind of a speaking gig um, for free. You know, I just wanted to get the word out and I started doing workshops. So my practice grew really quickly. I was so fortunate. Now, Karen, and, um, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but at that point, the, you open the practice and it's starting to grow. This is taking off. How is your own relationship with money? Because um, there was this gap between the financial advisors and the budget counselors, which you t- you kind of filled the gap for yourself on your own, right? I, yes. And I did that by the, the very first book I wrote. In fact, I think Barbara was in that group. Um, is called Your Personal Money Autobiography. So I wrote um, a journal for people to walk through their money history, starting with their very earliest memories of money, um, their adolescent years, their young adulthood, and then present day. And how did they feel about money? And so I took them through that whole section and at the end, I mean, that whole life cycle. And then at the end, what I would do is have them start connecting the dots. A lot of people, including me, didn't have tons of memories of their early childhood. But I started seeing the psychological and emotional impact of growing up with a lot of deprivation, neglect, and illness. Mm. That was my story. And um, so, so that was the first thing. But I also created what I called Money Minder at that time. And we just launched Money Grit um, on January 1st. <clears throat> and it's not an app yet. It will be, but I'll tell people about it later. Um, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to create a money program where it wasn't just about tracking numbers so that we go, oh, yeah, and I spent this much. I wanted to be, yes, I spent this much. Yes, I earned this much. But what does that mean to me? How do I feel about it? And so uh, <clears throat> a deep philosophy that I started with right away that has been kind of the underpinning of my work forever is this concept that we can never get enough of what we don't need. And so we have to discover what our deepest needs truly are. And um, and if we don't meet our needs, what it does is it just puts us in a state of deprivation. And when we're in that state of deprivation, we are craving things, we're longing, we're dissatisfied. And so that sets up a lot of our behaviors. So I will right now, while I'm here, though, tell you the three things that I think contribute to that deprivation. Mm-hmm. And so I created my money, my, my monthly money, I mean, my money minder, so that we could start discovering the answers to those questions. So the three things that I think contribute to deprivation is one, doing without things that are really important to us. And those can be things that cost money, or they can be things that don't cost money. Um, it can be, you know, that you're driving around with a car that's unsafe. Um, tires are bald, you know, but hey, you keep it so you keep it shiny and clean and looks great. But every time you get in it, you wonder if you're going to hurt yourself or others. It could be that you're neglecting your health care. It could mean that you're neglecting your social life or your sex life. You know, that you're just, um, there's just, you're, you're just in dep- deprivation, doing without so many things that are important to you. And I think right now during this time of COVID, I think what a lot of us are feeling, um, particularly people who live alone or in not in nurturing relationships, um, social. I, that's what I'm really missing. I'm missing my friends. We do Zoom and my family. Fortunately, I have a lovely husband and we really like each other and get along. But I <laughs> feel some deprivation around my social contact, going to restaurants, going to stores. And then the second thing is making do where, and, and I don't want to mistake making do for being frugal and careful. You know, frugality just means careful spending. But I'm talking about where you just kind of hobble together solutions to things, uh, duct tape mentality, but never quite fix anything. Barbara, in the latest book that she just published, I had forgotten this story, but she says that when she was seeing me that I noticed that even though she had these glasses, that she would always pull out a magnifying glass. And so we identified that that was a need, right? That was a need, that Barbara needed good glasses so she could see. And so on those little levels, um, you know, where, where are you hobbling together? Okay, that was definitely hobbled, right? Glasses. Oh, oh, and I think one of the things was broken on her glasses too, and the magnifying glass. And Barbara could afford glasses. So it shows that it's not just about money when people neglect their needs and they're making do. And then the third, and women, oh my gosh, we have to really watch this. This is overdoing, overcommitted, overspending. Um, you know, everything we do is too much and it leaves us all three of these states uh, overspending, overtime commitment, all three of these things, doing without making do and overdoing, lead to deprivation. 
So as we start working with our money, we want to make sure that one of the very first things we do is that we have to tune into our needs. And, and let me say a little more about why this is so important for us. I think that what drives a lot of the outcome that we have with money is not feeling worthy. That deep down, and especially if we grew up in a family where our needs really were not met and not taken care of, we may have grown up not thinking, gee, our parents really suck. You know, they didn't take care of our needs. What we do is we grow up and we think we're deeply flawed in some way. We don't deserve, we're unworthy. So we don't have a container to hold wealth, you know, or goodness. Mm -hmm. And so everything that I've designed in the money process, the actual working with numbers and in the writing your money autobiography and your work history autobiography, I'll tell you about that as well. All of these things, this works on the emotional level, the spiritual level, and the um, psychological emotional level. So what happens is we start taking care of deprivation, right? Give you a really easy example to understand. For some reason, I would see a lot of clients who would, would put on their needs list windshield wipers, right? Winter time here, where we are right now. Um, if it's raining really heavy and you have poor windshield wipes, you can't see very well. That's doing without and making do, right? Um, I heard the story once and somebody said, oh, I was driving with my sister up to the mountains and the windshield wipers weren't working. So one person was leaning out of the car and pouring water, you know, as they're driving in the snow out of her seatbelt. So I had so many experiences where I remember one guy came in and went, I get it, I get it. Windshield wipers, it feels so good. So we start taking care of these little things that we identify that we're doing without or making do. And all of a sudden, this belief that we have that we don't deserve, we start challenging that belief system by starting to meet our needs. So we start shifting. Oh, gosh, windshield wipers felt good. Oh, new underwear. I have so many underwear stories. Women neglect their underwear. <laughs> I dressed this morning. I have a beautiful new silk blouse on that's the color of money grit, dark blue. And I have a beautiful bra on. And, you know, Nobody's seeing that. You're not seeing it, but I feel good. You know, I have nice nightgowns. And there were times that, you know, a nightgown was just a long t-shirt with holes in it. So every one of those little things that we start doing and it feels good, it starts putting us up. This container starts opening that says, you deserve and it feels good. And that is a process that doesn't happen overnight. Um, but that's what I feel is really required to overcome problems with money. And even if you don't have the kinds of problems I did and probably none of you do, if you're not earning what you want or not feeling good about what you spend, you know, it may be because time to really say, okay, 2021, what are my needs for this year? I think this is amazing because, well, first of all, it's a, it's a very unique perspective. Usually when we read books about money, when we hear conversations about money, I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody address it this way. And I absolutely love it. Now, it begs the question, though, Karen, if if somebody's listening and they say, yeah, you know, that's me. I've neglected my needs. I'm kind of doing without and I'm making do. And that's me, the lady with the, you know, the underwear that really needed. I needed new underwear years ago already. Right. Or the broken glasses. But I'm in so much debt. And like, really, at this point, I cannot go buy, you know, the nightgown or the underwear. Mm -hmm. Right. How do we how do we reconcile that? And that's such a good question, Yale, because that's what the financial recovery process is about, is to be able to reconcile that. And, um, and you know, hey, I'm not just here to say, hey, I want to sell my products, but I do have a product called Saving Your Way Out of Debt, where I go into detail, but I'm going to give you the highlights of it right now. Um, that is one of the things that what you were just describing is one of the things that keeps people stuck over mm -hmm. and over and over and over. And, you know, and what happens in my book, I have something called the money life drain, which is an upside down triangle. And it shows the burden of debt and um, no savings and stress. It just starts eventually. Um, <clears throat> it's just kind of like we're caught in a, in a you've seen a, the faucet, right? Where you're doing that all of a sudden our lifestyle becomes very narrow and we have fewer choices because we don't have money and our credit cards are met out. So then it seems like, well, that's it. I'm done. So this is one of the things that I recommend for people. First of all, if we're not really tracking and looking at our money, we may have plenty of money to start taking care of some of our needs. But it's about looking at where we're spending money where we're not meeting our needs. Mm. So, um, so that's one of the things, you know, as you do your spending plan each month, you and one of the things I have in um, is to do a needs and wants list. Because that can be challenging in and of itself. What is a need and what is a want? Sometimes it's very clear. Many times it's not. And I've seen it where 
somebody who is, um, I'll just use a food analogy because you'll, you'll get it, um, anorexics, right? I don't need food. It's like everything's a want. So people who have sort of that approach. And then the people who um, more overeat, it's like I can't imagine any restrictions whatsoever. Um, everything's a need. So, you know, it's like um, we have to look. And I tell people when they do their needs and wants list, uh, if you're stuck, is this a want or a need? Put it on both sides and it will come clear, become clear over time. Um, <clears throat> so it's important to, when you go through your daily life, you want to have that little journal out where you're going, am I doing this out? Am I uh, overdoing? Am I making do? Mm-hmm. And it'll start getting clear. And, you know, one of the things you might want to do is, you know, go into every room of your house, you know, is, are you tolerating and putting up with something that's just some constant annoyance with your car, with your clothes, um, just your interactions for the day? You know, people like um, those, I mean, all of us, here you are. You know, if you were trying to do an online business like AL, is look at her lovely background, her nice microphone. I've trained so many money coaches where their first need is they've got to get a good camera for their computer. They've got to get a good microphone because they're going to be doing this kind of thing. Um, everything from your, your underwear, just think about all of the areas in your life where you spend money. And you kind of take an inventory about that area of your life. Um, do you feel good facing your closet in the morning when you get up? Or do you feel, no, I don't feel good facing my closet. I'm in so much deprivation there. Okay, then do a little clothing needs and wants list. Um, I've had, I've worked with a lot of overspenders, people who spend money on clothes. And I, that was me for sure. And um, I would never put together a complete outfits because there was never a plan, you know? So, oh, here's a pretty blouse. And so quite often, you know, just cleaning out closets. And looking to see where are the holes, you know, where, where do I need things, whether it's a wardrobe or fixing up your kitchen. A lot of people before COVID ate out a lot, did a lot of fast food. And um, I'm doing more cooking than I've ever done in my life. And what I realized, I really was in deprivation if I didn't give myself time to plan what I was going to cook, order it. And my husband and I, because of our ages, we don't go into stores at this stage until we get our vaccine. So we have everything delivered. Um, you know, it's just you start seeing where the holes are, you know, where's the, where are the struggles in your life? And that's going to give you a clue. One more story, one of the um, coaches, because after I started financial recovery, many people I worked with who loved this work, loved what it was doing for them. And they could tell I loved what I was doing. They wanted to become many coaches. So eventually I completely gave up um, one-on-one work with people and started training um, world-class many coaches. One, um, when we did her spending plan, she had done her clothing category instead of just doing clothing and looking at underwear and casual clothes and workout clothes she just said clothes and uh so i said okay let's spread this out a little bit you know how's how's your underwear you know what about your workout clothes and she said i haven't bought underclothes for a long time a few months later um we were working together and she said i went from not being able to buy underclothes for myself to having ten thousand dollars in the bank for the very first time so um but i do want to come back to the question to be a little bit more specific you know um, this, the key and the secret is going to be looking at your numbers to see how you have money to number one, start taking care of your needs. And number two, if you're mired in debt to eventually get to the point where you can pay off your debt. My approach to saving your way out of debt is unra- it's, it's radical to most people. I remember when Jean Chatsky in Money Magazine interviewed me, she said, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'll tell you what it is. And then she said, well, you work with some of our clients and then in a few months, um, maybe a year or whatever, then we'll do a story. And so she said in Money Magazine, Karen McCall has an unorthodox approach for getting out of debt, but it worked. <laughs> so this is what it is. It's like um, a lot of people are in a lot of denial about what they do with credit cards, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of people do rear view mirror counting after the fact. This is what I sent. So what we want to do is make sure that every month you're actually doing a plan for your spending, for your earning. And then as you do that, you want to add up what your expenses are, what you're starting the month with, what are you, what's coming in, what's going out. And you want to know before the month begins that you have a plan that will work. And then, and something that I've built into MoneyGrit, <clears throat> I would not have gone into the software business. You know, back in the 80s when I was starting this, I never dreamt that I'd be going into software business. If there was a program out there that dealt with the emotional and the spiritual and helped people get in touch with their needs, I wouldn't have done it. I would have just used their program. Um, so these are the components that I think are important. So you do that plan and you have your needs list when you're doing it. And you look, do you have something on your spending plan that's not a need, that it's a want? Just know that if we just tend to the wants and desires without first tending to the needs, we will perpetuate the process. Now, the other thing 
if you're a chronic credit card carrying debt, um, I know credit cards are here to stay. And I think that if people are going to use credit cards, they have to have a really strong way of understanding what they're doing with their credit cards. So when you do your spending plan, it's important to determine ahead of time, what am I going to charge? And you don't want to be charging, if if at all possible, things that you um, can't afford. So that's, again, if you take out a lot of the um, things that are not making a difference in your life. So I recommend in the spending process that people, um, you know, the first rule of holes, if you're in one, stop digging. So you stop using your credit cards uh, as much as possible. If you are going to use them at this stage, you are very mindful. I'm going to charge as much. We know that people spend between 20 to 30% more when they use credit cards. So if you're going to use it, you want to be totally conscious. So that 20 to 30% extra that you're charging and maybe paying interest on, that's money for you. So in the beginning, while people are getting stabilized in their debt, it may be just making minimums, minimum payments and starting to um, save some money at the same time. And then the time comes where then you look for money. Then again, I have all of this outlined Um and my program, then you start saying eventually, okay, now I want to start really paying down my debt. But first thing is, what are my periodic expenses that I need to save for? Periodic expenses. And what I mean by that, those are the insurances that aren't due every month. It's our vacations. It's the holidays. You know, with the holidays, we have a lot of special food to buy and gifts. Um, you know, anything that's non-monthly, we want to have a list of that. And we want to know how much it needs to be because that's one of the reasons that people go into debt mm-hmm. is they have not set aside money for their periodic expenses. So um, to stabilize the debt, we have to start paying minimum and maybe taking that extra payment and start building up for our periodic savings so that when um, those periodic expenses come due, you have the money for it. This starts. Then the next level of savings is what I call safety net savings. And that it, I have, I do not use the word emergency fund. I, I know don't that. word emergency fund because almost everything, I mean, the pandemic is an emergency. When John and I were in Portugal, when the pandemic hit, we didn't know going into the month that we were going to have to pay $3,000 to get home to buy these expensive tickets, right? I mean, things do come up that we can't anticipate, but almost everything we can. A car repair, if we have an old car, it's not an emergency. It becomes an emergency if we haven't said, I have an old car, I might need tires, I might need repairs, mm-hmm. I need to setting some money aside that. So, you know, to and to have it kind of be concrete, what's coming up in the next few months. And so now you've stabilized your debt, you start, you've identified periodic savings, you start saving for that. The next level of savings is safety net. For any entrepreneurs here, um, I know what I used to suffer from in the very beginning was, oh my God, I'm sick, but I still have to go to work because, you know, I have to get paid by showing up. Um, paid vacations was out of the question, you know, so learning to say my safety net is just to protect my income. And I will tell you, I cannot tell you all the love letters, emails I received um, when COVID hit for people saying, I am so glad you taught me about safety net savings. My income has dropped. So that savings, again, it's not an emergency. It's like, no, if I'm going to have an interruption or I want to take a paid vacation, I want to take some time off. Mm-hmm. That's my savings. So that periodic savings and the, and the safety net supports your investment savings. A lot of people start there with their investments, but then emergency comes in quotes. Um, <clears throat> then they have to take their, sell their IRAs, borrow from their 401ks, that type mm-hmm. of thing with tax consequences and lost opportunities. Karen, one question, what would you say is, and nowadays the pandemic might even have, might have, might alter the answer to the question. What would you say people should be aiming for as a safety net savings? Are we talking six months of expenses, three a year? What do you think? I don't do it by three or six months. What it's, it's a process where number one, you have to determine what is your risk. For example, when, before my husband retired, he's an attorney. And he, I mean, he's never lost a job. He's very good in his field. And so we knew that, um, that if he was ever laid off, so, okay, we have to look at, well, what might be the things that would interrupt our saving? I mean, our income. One would be we lose our jobs. Okay. So then you say, okay, if I lost my job, what is the reality of how long it would take for me to get another one? For my husband, it was probably two months at the very most. And that would probably be because he wanted to make sure he had the best offer. Somebody else might say, you know, in my profession, it can be tough. Or in my profession, I can do it right away. The other thing, if I'm sick, do I have disability insurance? And where would that kick in? 
And, and um, so you have to determine it based on you, not some statistic of three months or six months or a year. Wow. And, um, and then the same for seasonal workers, the way I would help people that I worked with who had seasonal work um, or sporadic income like realtors. You know, I would say, what's the longest that you've ever gone without an escrow? And they would say maybe two or three months. So there, their safety net savings had to start with, okay, two months and then three months. And so you have to personalize it in terms of um, when you, how long it would be. And, and when does your, if you have disability insurance, when does it kick in? So if it kicks in immediately short-term disability and you don't have long-term, then you know you're covered for a little bit of time. So it's, you know, it's very, very personal. I always try to stay away from those. And I'll tell you why, you know, mm-hmm. somebody's never saved. And you tell them they need six months for an emergency fund. It's not going to happen, most likely, because it's like saying, we're going to fly to the moon tomorrow. Let's take a trip to the moon. Well, we're not astronauts, right? We have no idea how to fly to the moon. It will seem that impossible to people. So we want things to be broken down and concrete and personal. Um, and so I want to go back to the second level of what I call the debt pyramid. So this is my saving your way out of debt, right? So on the saving side, it's save for periodic expenses, save for safety net, and there's your investment. And now you you protect your investment. Okay, on the um, debt pyramid, it's stabilize your debt. First rule of holes, if you're in one, stop digging. Second level is um, after you're just doing the minimum and you've been working on the saving side, now hopefully you're doing spending plans and you can start seeing, yes, I can earn more money or I could do this. But I want to start tackling that debt now. And that second section there is, um, it can take a year, it can take three years, it can take five years. And so what's important in that section where you're now going to be paying off the debt to get to the third level debt free, it's very important that you still understand that you still get to have life while even if you're not yet debt free while you're getting debt free. Wow. And that is there, there are programs when we just, um, we're getting ready to launch money grit. We did tons of research into other programs. And one very, very popular program is, uh, I was just like stunned as I watched their videos. They said, you have to sacrifice when you build your categories, no eating out, no vacations, no clothes. You know, it's like you just need four categories, food, housing, you know, and transportation, something like that, and, and tithing. And um, I just thought that won't work for a lot of people because they just, it sets up too much of a diet budget mentality. And it, uh, it feeds that deprivation that you were talking about before, which got us in this mess in the first place. And then if you start taking care of some of your needs, let's say you need new running shoes, now you feel guilty because you're not supposed to do this. They use the word sacrifice. So, you know, this process that I'm describing, and it's in my book too, The Saving Your Out of Debt, it's, um, it's stood the test of time. I've been doing this with people for over 30 years, mm-hmm. you know, and it worked. It really does work. So is it, is it more of a hybrid, just to bring it uh, more clarity for people, is it going to be more of a hybrid approach where... Yes, you are paying down your credit cards. You probably, you might even be paying one more than the minimum because you want to move forward, but you still very conscious of what those needs are and making sure that you're financing those needs so that you're not starving because you're putting everything on the debt. The thing about paying more than the minimum, we've got to watch that because a lot of people, one of the ways to keep their denial going about what they're doing with credit cards is I always pay more than the minimum. Mm. And so um, in tracking your debt, you want to see, and, and this is what Money Magazine objected to, because I would recommend in the beginning, while people are starting to build some savings and taking care of their needs, they're just paying the minimum. They went, but the interest rate, well, I'm smart enough to know that interest at, you know, 20, 30% is horrible and it will, your debt won't go down while you're doing that. But what we're working for, but the thing is, is if sometimes people are in debt for decades. So, but, but part of the denial system is, and the rationalization is, but I'm, but I'm okay because I always pay more than the minimum. Mm-hmm. So if it's going to be a few months, you know, that you're just paying minimum and you're seeing all those interest charges go on, remember you're trying, you're going for the long game. You're going so that you'll be able to get out of debt and stay out of debt. One of the reasons people go back into debt over and over and over again, and believe me, I would have people say, yeah, I've been out of debt five times. And the reason I go back in is they haven't addressed periodic saving and they haven't addressed safety net saving. So then the time comes their credit cards are safety net. You will never get ahead with that. So if, if we're paying, um, in the beginning more interest, but you can stop the debt cycle, we so far ahead emotionally, spiritually and financially. 
I love that answer. I love that answer. And the truth is, I, again, you are the first one who, at least that I know, who talks about these periodic savings. And I want to go back to them because they're so important because they're part of life. They are part of life. There's once a year where if your um, property tax is not included in your mortgage, you're going to have to pay it. And your neighborhood association payment needs to, is due and your flood insurance. There's, there's certain things and the holidays happen and there's certain periodic expenses that we always know are coming. And so preparing for those really, really can can move the needle here. Um, and, you know, it just, I remember when my daughter graduated from college and she was out on her own with her first job and she called me one day and she said, hey, mom, do you want the good news or the bad? And I said, well, honey, I want both. And she said, well, <laughs> the bad news is I had a car repair of $750, but she didn't sound depressed about it. And she said, the good news, I had it in my periodic savings. Mm-hmm. It was so empowering for her rather wow. than calling mom or dad, right? <laughs> I mean, in college, obviously, we pay for her car repair, but she was working now and I did teach teach her about this. And it was actually, she felt like a grown-up, mm. um, you know, that she had an old car and it was nice when she could eventually get a new car for herself and, you know, have warranty and all of that. But she was driving, you know, the car that she had in college. And so it, uh, I am telling you, you know, that these things really, really do work. So I want to, I want to ask one last question before you tell us more about money grid. And then there's some questions that are coming here from the ladies. We've, we've addressed the, the, the needs, the deprivation cycle, the things that take us to the deprivation cycle. And we've addressed, you know, the spending plan and how to get out of debt. Now, the question is for somebody who is already out of debt and let's say they're saving, they have their safety net and they're even investing. Do you think that? that person should still be living with a with a living and breathing money plan every month. You know, I I would say that um it's such a good question. And I'll I'll respond to it this way. Uh, a woman once who took um took my training and she wasn't even even sure she wanted to be a money coach, but she just wanted to learn from me. And she had um no debt, assets, um plenty of money saved, two homes paid for. And when, um, and so I always encourage coaches when they're going through the train to really think about maybe going for a month and not using credit cards, just to kind of test, do they spend less? So, um, she was resistant and, and I don't require that, but she was resistant to that. And she said, um, you know, we got a huge, this was a few years ago, huge TV. And at that time, these big TVs were very expensive, um, for our points on our, on our credit cards. And um, so, but she said, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this for two months. I'm going to not use my credit cards. And she came back and she went, we could have bought 10 TVs. We definitely spent less when we were conscious that we were spending money rather than because, um, so that's one thing to see. And, and another thing to see in using credit cards is, is, is it resulting? I've had people say they go in a store and if they're only going to charge, like they only need a tube of lipstick, they feel guilty just charging that. And so they look for something else to add to it. Wow. <laughs> you know, and, and you look around for things. Okay, well, then I'll add this second tube of lipstick. And oh, yes, maybe I can pick up a little calculator, you know. And so now instead of I went in to buy this, but I felt a little guilty, I'll add these two things. By the way, this wasn't planned. These are just things <laughs> my Um So she said, oh, my gosh, we spent way less money when we were conscious. Um, if you, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've read the books where, you know, a lot of people who have a lot of money are very connected to them. Yeah. Uh, so I think a person has to decide where they are some way where they're looking at their money and not just in rearview mirror, because rearview mirror accounting is then you don't have time to change the outcome. Yeah. You do a plan. And so, I mean, my husband and I still do it every month. We, we love it. And, um, and we look out for each other. Like he will say, well, honey, do you need this this month? You know, I'll say, Hey, Tom, I just noticed your slippers, you know? So we look out for each other. Um, so I think it really depends on the person, but if you want to be totally conscious and make sure that you're making strong choices, um, I would sure try it and see, see if it benefits you. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think that's the word that you just said here is is very, very important. It's the conscious. It's even, no matter how much wealth you have, and no, even even if you're not using credit cards, and you, you know, you have a, uh, you're financially, let's just say, you're earning a lot, you're saving a lot, you're investing a lot. It's having that consciousness and that connection with your money, that intentionality with what you're going to be spending it on, and making sure that you are financing those things that are really and truly important for you, and that other things are, um, and those things are not getting neglected. 
And, you know, it's, um, I remember a call once and I, I got it to my voicemail, but that's when we used phones. Um, but a client of mine, and she was, she had inherited a lot of money. So money, spending money wasn't really something that she had to be terribly concerned about from a financial point, you know, mm-hmm. of running out of money. Um, however, she called me once she was in New York in one of the really nice department stores. And she said, I'm stuck. I'm looking at a thousand dollar nightgown. And she could afford it. I mean, cause she had millions, right? But it was a values conflict for her. Mm. She also was somebody who did love to, she was, um, she had a lot of philanthropy. And so she, she was in conflict. And so sometimes, you know, that can help people too, is are they spending according to their values? I don't think she ended up buying it. I certainly wasn't there to judge her if she did. What I acknowledged her for was that she's, she's looking at how she feels about the choices she's making. And if it feels okay, she runs through the process, that feels okay, and she does it, you know, good for her. But if it's something that she's going to do unconsciously and then really regret it. So I think at any level, are we conscious of the choices that we're making? Um, I'll give you this other little thing to write down is I think um, doing a spending plan each month and seeing if that plan will work answers the question, um, Let's see how I just lost my train of thought. That is one of the things that happens at my age. Okay. So um, we get to see the, I, I got it back though. We get to see the conscious, uh, the, the um, consequences of our behaviors while we still have time to do something about it. So that's why even conscious credit card purchasing. So if I say, you know, by the way, I've never spent anything close to a thousand dollars on a nightgown, but you know, let's say I want a nightgown and it's a hundred dollars. Um, if I put that down with all of my other expenses, I get to see how that's going to impact me financially before I buy it. And that feels so good. You know, it's like, yeah, I really want that nightgown or whatever it is. If you have your plan and you go, yeah, it works. No negative consequences financially. And boy, will it feel good emotionally to do this thing. It removes so much decision making that we face day after day after day. So having a spending plan, we sit down, we make our decisions at the beginning of the month. We look at what the consequences of that are going to be. And then it's like we're free to really enjoy spending our money. Mm-hmm. I love it. So tell us about Money Grit. Um, tell us a little bit more about that tool. Okay. May I just say one more thing first? Do I have yeah. Time? Okay. Um, Yale told me there are a lot of entrepreneurs here. Sometimes they're side hustles, you know, maybe you're young moms with families. And so one of the things that I will say that the number one predictor of success in business is having a solid relationship with me because you will come face to face with your belief systems about money and worthiness and deserving. Every time you set your fees, you negotiate, Mm -hmm. you're going to get paid, all of those. So I just wanted to put that plug in. All right. So another exercise that can be really good and it's in my book as well, it's um, doing a work history autobiography. So that will help you um, look at how, how, what your belief systems and attitudes are about work and earning money. So again, just like we were talking about personal, you can do that same work as a business owner or anyone. I mean, you know, have you ever asked for a raise, that type of thing? So I wanted to say that. Okay. So. <laughs> Money this, is, this is a very important reminder. And I'm glad you brought it up, Karen, because a lot of people say, yeah, I just, I just need to make more money. That's, that's really where it's at. I, I see it. Once I make more money, then it's all going to be fine. But you just told us your relationship with money is going to come and trip you over. You gotta, you gotta work on that. Yes, you're going to start your business and you're going to start earning more money. But along the way, if you haven't repaired that relationship with money, you'll trip. Yep. And, and for a business owner, you want to have your spending plan, but you want to have your earning plan. You, you want to know what do you need to earn to pay yourself? What do you need to go to, uh, to run your business and to grow your business? And, um, you know, then, then, then you come up with, okay, now I know what I need to earn. Then you come up with, okay, I have a concrete number. What do I need to do to do that? And so that is so key for any business owner. All right. So speaking of business owners, one of the things with Money Grit is that we have both a personal and a business version. And one of the reasons for that is I think for entrepreneurs, separating your money, separating your business, separating your personal is really, really important. Um, you it really, you will say, I am a business person. You know, I am, I have my business checking account. I have my business spending plan. Um, so we just launched Money Grit. Money Minder was really old. We launched it in 2017, uh, 2013. So it was, you know, really getting old and the technology was old. So we just launched Money Grit. And I will have to tell you, it's not like 100% with all the pieces functioning. It like it doesn't have the needs and wants list in it yet. That has to be done separately. But within the next few months, all of that functionality will be there. But what is there is the ability to create 
your customize your categories for your life. And if you're in business for your business, um, and then you do that same exercise as you're creating your categories as you did wh- what we just talked about. What are my needs for my business? What are my needs for myself, my family? Having that mentality. And then there's the spending, there's the spending and earning plan. And so all of that is perfectly functioning. The other thing that, um, there's two features that it has that other programs don't have. One is when you plan, if you deviate from your plan, remember I said I built in how you can get to know emotionally what's happening to you. If you deviate from your plan, there's a process you go through where you don't go back and erase the initial amount to adjust the column. So then when you look at, look at all the adjustments I had to make during the month, what I planned and what I did were so far apart. Okay. Were they far apart because I didn't plan enough because I'm just brand new at this? Did I, did it change because something came up I couldn't have anticipated or was it like, the heck with my spending plan? I want both of these tubes of Chanel lipstick, you know? Um, Instead of just one, it's like we get to see that, you know, little kid that comes out and goes, I want it now, you know, that ice cream cone right now. So all of that's built in. And then also an annual plan. And it is beautiful to be able to start seeing. We'll break denial about how we feel about our spending when we see not just an annual total, but we see it. This was January, this was February, this was March. Really helps us go. I don't feel that good about that. That's a heck of a lot of money going for something that doesn't even make that much of a difference in my life. So all of that's built into it. And there's a Facebook page and we have um, some videos and things like that. So, and the app will be coming after we have all the pieces in Money Grid. Um, then we'll, then they'll be creating a nap and that will probably be in the spring. But I'll tell you, it's, it's a great program. And so if you're interested, it's moneygrit.com. Amazing. Amazing. So we're going to check that out. So, um, I have a few questions here and ladies, you feel free to take off the mic also and ask and ask Karen any questions, um, that might be bubbling in your mind. But I'm going to start with a question that I see here on the chat. What does Karen think about the debt repayment plans? Natalie, I think you refer to you're referring. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Um, she's saying she's writing it to me in Spanish. So I'm trying translating their debt repayment plans without interest. Oh, I you, guess mean, those, you mean consolidating? Consolidating? Yes. Um, well, it, when I see people go back in debt over and over, quite often they have several loan consolidations as a part of that process. And what they did is they said, this makes sense. I'm going to roll all my debt into this loan consolidation and I'll save all that interest. And maybe I have that loan consolidation interest-free for a while. But again, if a person hasn't learned how to handle money, their behaviors will probably take them back into debt again. So again, that um, the, the question of the interest, you just want to make sure that if if you do that, it can be really smart if you've also done the other work so that you're not going to go back into debt. Because mm-hmm. then it really starts eroding the self-esteem. I have this thing called a V-chart where it shows not only where we are, but where we're headed. And um, so often what I have is credit card debt and then loan consolidation. And with loan consolidation, the promise never to debt again. And then hmm, didn't have periodic savings, didn't have safety net, got a debt again. Now self-esteem eroded and the snowball downward, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the other thing to write down. When you look at your whole financial life, you want to ask yourself, not, you not only want to look at where you are, but you want to look at where you're headed. And if you don't like where you're headed, the good news is you can write a different ending to the story. Yeah, it's it's interesting I, I, I that you address it like that, because it reminded me of a case where I saw somebody going into debt consolidation, but also at the same time, refinancing their house because they needed to pull out equity in order to pay for a an, a periodic expense that was coming up, let's say a child's wedding or whatever. So in my mind, there might be something there that we might want to look at because yes, you're working on the debt, but you're still incurring. You're, I don't feel like the savings muscle is being exercised. And so down the road, you might be falling into the same trap again. I'm so glad you said that because I, I forgot to say this, but um, the savings muscle, that's so important that you're saying that because this process that I described in saving your way out of debt, when people start saving for their periodics, that's supposed to be spent. That savings, it's just a revolving door. It's like you're just setting it here for your periodic expenses. But people who have never saved, when they get that, they love it. And now they don't want to spend it when something comes up, you know? And so that's why I've created this process the way I have is we can't, can't just look at our relationship 
with debt and, uh, and where we stand without looking at our relationship with savings. They have to go hand in hand. Mm, yeah, yeah, that is that is an important reminder. When we're saving for something, then we have to spend it for that thing with a lot of joy. That's why you did it. <laughs> exactly, with joy, yes. <laughs> exactly. So Tiffany's asking about an approach to paying off student loans. This is a good question because a lot of people are tackling student loans these days. We know this is a huge problem, at least in America. What do you say about student loans, Karen? You know what? I have to tell you, I don't know a lot about student loans. You know, I've been out of counseling people for so many years, but I know that, um, shoot, I just, I, I don't know what you can do. Um, I have something that I offer free, which is called Monthly Money Monday. I inherited this group from Barbara many years ago. And um, it's today at one o'clock Pacific, which is one hour from now. It's an hour and a half webinar that I do every month for free. And then we have a Facebook group and we have a lot of money coaches in that Facebook group that know a lot more about that type of thing. So, mm. you know, if you want to join, um, I, I don't know. But what I can say is if you're on a payment plan and you can make it work, you know, probably stay on it, learn all you can about it. But um, if you are um, paying more on the, than you need to, then you want to treat that uh, the same way that you are everything else while you build up your periodic and your safe net. So I just I just haven't kept up on student loans. I'm sorry, I can't be helpful on that. Yeah, I also have been out of the loop on that for a number of years. But I, I do believe with the pandemic, um, there's been some flexibility in that that people could take advantage of. Well, and sure. there's also some legislation, I think, where um, in the United States, they're really hoping to um, eliminate, you know, some student loan debt for people. Oh, wow. So, but like wow. I said, I stayed up on it. Wow, wow, wow. But regardless of what you end up doing, Tiffany, I think the principles that Karen has taught us here still apply. You want to be very conscious that you are not that that cycle of deprivation is not continuing, that you're really addressing what your needs are, that you're not just, you know, making do or you're overdoing or overcommitting. So you want to be tackling that student loan debt. But at the same time, you want to make sure that the way you're allocating your money is addressing um, those those needs, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, so I don't see any, anybody else has questions. Natalie, did that clarify your question about debt consolidation? Geraldine, do you have any questions? Sari, Connie, anything come up? So in the meantime, Karen, um, when you, I just want to have one last question. Connie, did you have a question? No, I didn't have a question, but I just wanted to say thank you because I feel like I've gone one step and not incurring more debt, but now to dig in and kind of like this whole next level of excavation of what got me into debt, the emotional things, um, yes. and, and dealing with the different categories of like the periodic savings and the savings net really yeah. kind of just established a whole lot of new goals for me. And so I don't get in that same situation of depending on the credit cards family out. So thank you so much. You're, you're, you're very welcome. You're very, very welcome. And, you know, if you are interested, you know, I do cover that in my book. You can get it from the library. However, if you do want to purchase saving your way out of debt, I take you through all those steps and, um, and then particularly how to stay out of debt. And, and the beautiful thing when we get there is possibilities. Remember, I started this today with that story from Dr. Robert Schuler, soothing words of possibility thinking. And I would say what this process does when we get out of debt, so often people are uncomfortable with that place, right? And so they go back, but to start saying, now I can start seeing possibilities in my life. It's wonderful. So so that brings me to, should we start dreaming big? Let's say somebody here is, oh, okay, fine. So I'm going to follow the process. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to be very conscientious. Um, but to what extent should we be saying, you know, I should look beyond the safety net, the, the, I'm sorry, the, um, not the periodic, what do you call it? Yeah, the periodic and really, and beyond the safety net and dream big. And I don't, I feel so scared to dream big because like, I don't even see it. I look at the numbers. I don't see it. Right. So there's that conundrum. What do we say to that? How do we re- reconcile that? Well, and you know, if we're just saying, I'm just going to think big beyond and we don't have the capacity to even meet our needs, we weren't going to mm. get there. You know, because remember, it's like, deep down, do we feel worthy? And Mm -hmm. it's one of the problems with vision boards, for example, and I know people are big on it. And I've done them myself, but there's been some recent um, research where a lot of times if people just do the possibility thinking, you know, I'm just the vision board in their mind, um, they've already accomplished it. And so and and so there's like a disconnect between I'm here, but I'm fantasizing this. But no, there's footwork, you know, mm-hmm. that needs to take place. So it's, I mean, psychology is really interesting. So what I've seen in, in the process of working with people is 
they get to that place. Oh, I'll just give you a perfect example. I love to travel. My second husband was a um, professor, history professor. So we spent a couple summers in Europe and he and I, we were only married a short period of time. We've been, he's dead now and he's been gone a long time. We've been divorced for decades, but that was an amazing experience for me. And I knew that someday I want to travel, but think big about traveling. It would just be something I go again, but not me. My husband and I left a year ago with the intention of traveling around Europe for three years, if we wanted. Um, we had no, no time, no return ticket. And, um, that the only reason we were able to really do that, unfortunately, we had to come home early, uh, is because we took all the baby steps. And, there, and then I had the capacity to go, yes, we can do this. We can spend Christmas in Paris, which we did last year. Um, so it, I think that dreaming big comes from, first of all, giving yourself, uh, meeting your needs, and then starting to tune into your wants and and. Remember going from not being able to give underwear to 10,000 in savings? I don't think she would have gotten to 10,000 in savings without buying those underwear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's building that vessel that you were saying at the beginning. Yeah. Now, one question, because most of my students are married. And so it's not just us with our money hangups and our own relationship with money. There's the husband, right? There's the spouse. And very often we might be working the program and we might, you know, be on board but then we meet some friction. So what has been your experience there in terms of women trying to get their husbands on board? Oh, that's such a wonderful question. And some of the coaches that I've trained don't like to work with uh, somebody who's married unless both people participate. And I say, hey, (laughs) you know, do it yourself if your husband doesn't or or spouse or partner doesn't want to participate. Um, Well, in couples, one of the interesting things about couples is quite often there's an identified patient. You know, where if we wouldn't have these problems, it wasn't for him or we wouldn't have this problem, it wasn't for her. And, um, and you know, they say statistics show that, you know, money is the number one cause of divorce. But I would even take that back a little more to say communication is probably the number one cause of divorce, poor communication. Because it can be a beautiful thing to work as a couple. Remember, we're, we want to get to the place that we're living the life. I mean, I didn't want to go to Europe by myself. I wanted my husband to come with me, right? And um, and we've worked, we've been together for, we were together before I started financial recovery. So like, I don't know, 36, 37 years. Don't tell him I don't remember. Um, <laughs> we won't. But, but, you know, so if you're the identified patient, one of the things that's really nice if um, you can go in this together without the pointer finger, you know, so we point a finger at somebody, three so pointing at us. And um, one, you know, the money autobiography that I told you about, I was working with a couple and they were in terrible shape, not financially, but emotionally, because she wanted to pay a bill every time the bill came in. And he wanted to pay bills twice a month. It made no sense to him whatsoever. So one of the things they did was their money autobiography. And when they were in my office, and she started telling her story, what she was writing down, and it, she hadn't ever thought of mentioning this to him in her family. Um, she was the oldest of several children. And when the bill collectors would come to the door or call, oh. she would be the one that had to go to the door to lie and say that her parents weren't there. So every time a bill came in, she was triggered. She wasn't aware of that. She hadn't thought about it in years. Her husband certainly wasn't aware. The minute that she revealed that, he went, honey, I'll pay the bill every time they come in. And then she was like, no, 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 it's okay. We can pay them twice a month. Maybe we go to once a week, you know, instead of twice a month. So it can be a beautiful thing to start really opening up with your partner or if they're willing and if not do the journey on your own. So if, if they work together, it's like everybody do a wants and needs list because you want to know what the needs are that your husband or your partner feels. You want to know what the, what about your kids? You know, you can bring the kids in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Hey, what do you feel you need this month? You know, as you're doing your spending plans, it can be a beautiful planning thing and open up communications. But I would say, if you don't have a willing partner, do it on your own anyway. And then because you'll want to track everything, um, you might just have to have, you know, maybe they take money out of the ATM and you have no idea where it goes, then you'll just have to track that unknown. You know, this is Mark's money or Mary's money. Um, So, you know, you just start the process and hope that they'll come along because what happens sometimes when the identified patient, no, it's your problem, you do it, is they start getting better and better. The other person goes, hmm, changes are happening, you know. So I wouldn't force it. I would do your own work. And if you can bring your partner along, fantastic. And if not, become a, a Barbara story, right? Become a strong with money yourself. 
Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Karen. This has been so informative. We have so much to process. You've given us so much and I'm so grateful. Um, I mean, I can't thank you enough. Everybody knows to go check out MoneyGrid at MoneyGrid.com, right? Yes, yes. And if they want to join Monthly Money Monday, they go to FinancialRecovery.com and then you'll see down toward the bottom of the homepage. There you can join. And if you want to, you know, hey, we're having a meeting today at one o'clock. But we do the first Monday of every month, one o'clock Time. That would be amazing. That yeah, be thank amazing. you so much. So nice to be here and happy new year to everyone. Thank you so much, Karen. Bye, everybody. Thanks to Karen McCall for stopping by and for sharing her wisdom and experience. You can learn more and sign up for Money Grit at moneygrit.com. You can also learn more about the Financial Recovery Institute at financialrecovery.com. And of course, Karen's classic book is on Amazon. Thank you so much for being here. I look forward to being back with you on Friday to answer some of your questions on our Ask Yael episode. I'm guessing there might be something about the stock market drop earlier this week. We shall see. You can always send in those questions via DM on Instagram at Yael Trush or email me Yael at JewishLatinPrince.com. Thanks again for being here and remember to hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode and leave a review and rating as it helps the show reach many other Jewish women like yourself. Have a wonderful day.